If it's happening now, we're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Major Tom McKay is on the board. Wild Willerskin booking the guests. In the newsroom, Jennifer McQueen. Here's Scott Thompson. Get out of the shower. Put on some clothes, would you, kid? Jeez. It's a family show. What the heck? It is Hamilton Today. I'm Scott Thompson, 900 CHML. Uh, the poll question of the day from yesterday, Hamilton's new enc- uh, encampment protocol will allow up to five tents on public property as long as they're not within 100 meters of playgrounds and schools. I don't know who's going to supervise that. Are you for or against the encampment sites in the city? 80% of you are for 20, or sorry, 80% of you are for, are against and 20% are for the encampments, 24, 80% against. And, you know, I mean, you, you got to do something. We need some sort of solution. But to me, you know, we've taken weeks to come up with a solution that is really only uh, works for a few weeks because as this is August 16th, uh, then it will be September 16th, then October 16th and November 16th and snow. So, uh, you know, I'm not sure, uh, you know, I guess it's great to punt the ball a couple of months down the road, but I'm not sure what you're going to pull out of your hat in the next three months to to continue with this program because you can't have people in tents in snow in Canada. I don't think, but that's just my wacky old guy feeling. And the current poll question of the day, is it a must at the Grey Cup halftime show? This on Twitter, by the way, or X. Do we call it X or Twitter? It's like, do we call Tim Hortons Field Ivor Win? No, let's not even go there. All right, uh, must the Grey Cup halftime show feature a Canadian performer or band? Well, I, yeah, I would say, you know, at least one. Maybe not the headliner. It doesn't have to be. I mean, you know, this is tough because it's not a case of just who you want. It's who it's who is available. Uh, obviously, you know, you're pulling people who are on tour of some sort or able to do it. Are they already booked? Can they swing it into their schedule? So again, it's, the logistics are a lot of this, but, um, you know, I would, I'd like to see some Canadian content on the halftime show. I don't know. Uh, why wouldn't we? I, I don't mind seeing other stuff, but for the most part, you know, what the heck? Why not? I mean, it is the CFL. Uh, and on that note, uh, Grey Cup festivities plans have been announced. We're going to talk about that coming up a little later with Tim Potisic. And it uh, looks like we got a pretty cool party in the planning. And you know Potisic's involved in it. It'll be fun. All right. Uh, another sure sign that summer is coming to an end. No, it's not uh, talk of teacher strikes. It's the CNE. That's starting this Friday. And, of course, the big black cloud hanging over the hammer. Uh, a city strike is looming. And we will um, keep you updated on that as uh, as talks and, and discussions continue on um, on a looming city strike. And now, and the other observation, politicians, all of them, who normally don't, there's some that do, but there's a lot, most, that don't. That's why we have a housing shortage. Uh, now more than ever, talking about building more homes. And we talked about this yesterday. And, you know, one of the pundits we had on said, uh, this is the absolute hottest issue. This in affordability, which the two are kind of related, interest rates, what have you. And, you know, all compounded by a shortage of not building over the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years. So uh, now politicians who normally, and we saw this back at the Ontario election, The Greens, the NDP, the Liberals, when do they ever say we're going to build a million homes? 
only when they have failed to build a million homes in the past. So it's fun. It's funny to see how um, people who normally uh, uh, wouldn't the word the word build wouldn't come out of their mouth. Now it is. But now they put the word affordable in front of it, which when you're in a shortage position, good luck with that. Because the only thing that will drive down prices is more supply. Remember the economics class of grade 12, grade 13, you know, pretty simple stuff. Uh, The less you have, the more you pay. It worked the same with peaches down at the Winona Peach Festival. If there was only a basket available... They'd be selling for a hundred bucks a peach. We remember uh, at this time, starting about three and a half years ago. <clears throat> boy, that's bizarre. As I'm seeing headlines about uh, getting ready and and boosting and immunity all around COVID nineteen, as uh, of course uh, new results of studies come out, and we get ready for another fall season, another flu season, which always happens around the fall. But uh, obviously, when this struck us, the COVID-19 pandemic way back three and a half years ago, uh, we used this break to talk to local retailers, restaurants, what have you, that were having tough times and, you know, basically explain that they were still in business, doing curbside and what have you, and, you know, tried to help as many get through as they possibly could. And then, of course, government offer, uh, offered help and 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 pay in payments in the form of CERB and such in order to help these businesses get through. But now all of those, all of those bills are coming due. And as we know with affordability and where the economy is right now, everybody is having a extremely difficult time. And imagine having to pay back a loan. And, you know, it's a loan to stay in business, basically. It's not like you get something for it. It's not like you can take the money and then, you know, revamp your digs or, or, you know, more equipment, whatever it is that you're doing. Uh, You're basically using it just to survive. And then you got to pay it back. So a local martial arts studio is now facing pressure from Serb debt just after bouncing back from the lockdowns. Jeff Burrows with his founder, owner, and instructor of Elite Leadership Martial Arts, 120 San Antonio Drive in Hamilton, and with us now. Jeff, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. I am. Thank you, Scott. So talk about getting through uh, COVID and, and how difficult those two and a half, three years were for you. Well, that was probably one of the most difficult times that I've had in my life as far as being business owner. I've, I've had things go go on and whatnot, but never to a point where we've had to completely close down our business, completely do a 180 flip to how we deliver our programs, and then have our membership slowly dwindle away because we were closed for so many months. And how do you get that back? What's it been like post-COVID for you? Well, it has been a, a truce struggle and a fight to try to get back to where we were previously. I mean, at this point, we're still not, we're still not back to where we were. Yeah. We're probably 25%, 30% membership down since before COVID. And we're just seeing that people are, are afraid of the economy. They're, they're afraid of a whole bunch of things still at the moment. So really, it's just, um, you know, many thought that when this all ended, it was going to be like the roaring 20s and people were going to go nuts. And I guess they did for about six months. And then the bills started to come in and things started to go up. And that's that's also obviously a, a big part of this, too. Absolutely. It's funny. I was talking with my wife the other day and we were saying that we went all the way back to our income from the business to about 2004. But our expenses are 2023. 
Yeah. So what uh, now uh, you received money from the CERB, we understand. And what is the process now with paying that back? How do you do that? What do you have to do? Well, we got the the federal money from the federal government, uh, the 60,000 for the loan. And that went really mostly towards paying for all the bills to keep the place open. Yeah, it's not like we we could just walk away and not pay the landlord or not pay the hydro bill or anything like that. Like all all those bills still had to be paid, and that's where a lot of that money went was to be able to cover that stuff, being able to try and keep our employees as long as they could before they decided that they didn't want to teach virtually online anymore and they quit. Right, all of that happened during that time, and now we're in a position where at the end of this year. That sixty thousand is coming due. Now they say if you can pay back forty thousand of it by the end of the year, we'll forgive twenty thousand. But we're still in a position where we're not even a hundred percent covering all of our monthly expenses. So what would the solution be for your business, Jeff? Would it be to extend the amount of time? What sort of what sort of uh, uh, compromise would work for you? Well, I'm looking. Over the course of the last year or so, as we've been growing and fighting and climbing back to get a lot of our new members, because a lot of our old members have moved on. They're not coming back. Right. But the, the new membership and the growth has been slow, but steady. Right. And I see that in about a year or two's time, we should be back to where we were and be able to have that, that loan repaid back. So for us, it's a matter of, can we get an extension on this? Can we get another year or two before we have to start paying this thing back? What do you think the chances of that are, Jeff? I'm hoping. I know that the, the, the CFIB, the Canadian Federation of Independent Businesses, is fighting really hard for businesses like my own to get that extended out. Uh, Jeff, just some final thoughts here. Uh, you're hoping that this gets extended. Yes, absolutely. The, an extension of a year or two, like I said, would be immensely helpful to us. It would allow us to get to a position back where we could have enough money to be able to pay that loan back without having to dig into other reserves that we might have. Yeah. All right. Uh, before you go, let's give a plug to the business, Elite Leadership Martial Arts. What is it that you do? We teach kids martial arts, and we have a brand-new adult and teen fitness kickboxing program. All right. Jeff Burroughs with us, founder, owner, and instructor at Elite Leadership Martial Arts 120 San Antonio Drive in Hamilton. Uh, having difficulty getting through a post-pandemic world and, of course, inviting you to help out and shop local. Jeff, good luck. Thank you, Scott. It's that time of year again. The Dundas Cactus Festival is on the way and fires off with its annual parade, which is tomorrow. I don't know how many times we have talked to Donna Lavin, coordinator of the Dundas Cactus Parade, but it's an annual tradition from us. And start up the bands. She's about to come on. Donna Lavin is here. Donna, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. I am, and you as well. So how long have you been doing this? Long time. <laughs> Long time. Uh, we'll doing it, it longer than I am old. Uh, <laughs> I've always been twenty nine, Scott. Atta girl, good for you. Do and the, the parade, <laughs> and the parade keeps you young. The parade keeps you young. All right, so let's start with some history on this event. And I know you you center around the parade and uh, coordinate the parade itself. But tell us a little bit about the festival to some that may not have ever experienced this. Well, it's a weekend of family fun that's free in downtown Dundas. The roads close up, and there are 
Um, there's a classic car show this year. We have escape rooms coming this year, inflatables for the kids all weekend. It's just a weekend of lots of fun. It's a great block party. And, you know, do people still ask why Dundas has a cactus festival? What's the history of that? Do they still, well, where's the cactuses in Dundas? Yeah, or would it be cactus? Where's the cat? Where's and the cacti in Dundas? Pardon me? Where's the cacti in Dundas, I guess? Well, they're not the, uh, here anymore. The no. The festival was named after the Valdez Cactus House, which yeah. was the largest supplier of cacti in the world years ago. And they, the people have retired, and it's now a butterfly garden. But when the festival started, that's where the name came from. And it's just stayed. And how long has the festival been around? you know that? This is our 48th year. Wow, so 50 is going to be a big one. Going to be a big one. That's right. All right, so this all starts with the parade on Thursday. And again, as you mentioned, this all happens in downtown Dundas over the course of the weekend, various activities going on. Let's get to the parade itself. Uh, it, it's on Thursday. Tell us, And it's an, an evening parade, which is kind of cool. Kind of cool. Leaves the park at 645, so it will arrive on downtown on King Street by 7 p.m. And um, about 60-odd floats in the parade this year. And we have lots of great bands. We have a trilogy of pipe bands leading off, Dundas, Grimsby, and Hamilton 163. And then we have the Blue Saints Drum Corps coming in. And they come, their players come from all over Ontario. And they're just coming back from a big competition in the States. They'll be really entertaining. They're a really good band. And then we still have all the usuals, the Rockabilly Bar Band and Trick Bag Blues Band. Um, then we have the Silver Leaf from Preston Scout House coming as well. And our big finale band this year is the Teen Tour Band. So everybody comes for Teen Tour. Um, so this is, really a, this is really a parade about the music. It's all about music. Yeah. For sure. It's all about music. We do have a theme. The theme this year is Beyond the Stars. And that can be planets, astronomy, or it can be movie stars, however people want to interpret it. And then the judges will, will award prizes accordingly. For the so how, how was it uh, for you, Donna, in the, in the parade and the festival itself, getting through uh, a pandemic? And, and where are you now? Like, is, are you expecting everything full, uh, full board this year? Um, no holds bar. Uh, where are you after of course, uh, a global pandemic. Yeah, we're still rebuilding. We had to, to cancel for two years. And we had our first parade last year. And it was really difficult for most of our sponsors. And now this year, most of our sponsors are back on track. But people are still having a hard time. Um, and then a lot, of our, a lot of the entries, a lot of the floats aren't back yet. They're all telling me they'll be ready by next year. It takes a lot of time and money and people to participate in a parade and do a float so for some people they're just not ready yet and you know what else too don and i've been talking to businesses about this uh earlier on in the week as well is that what you don't realize when something like that happens it changes people's habits so something yeah. that they've been doing for a bazillion years and all of a sudden you don't do it for two or three years um, people forget about it and or have moved on to other things different parts of their life so it's almost like you have to start over again Sort of. Yeah, in a way, it really is. I don't think anybody's forgotten about the parade. But as you say, they have maybe taken up other activities. They're doing other things. And this year, of course, we're competing with the Tiger Cats who have a football game. 
So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, that'll affect us a little bit. But um, we'll have a good turnout. People come. It's really a homecoming. A lot of people just come every year to to re-meet people that they haven't seen all year long. So it'll be a good parade and a good turnout, too. And what does this do for company businesses and the, just the downtown itself? Well, I think it I think it does a lot for them. All the restaurants downtown, pretty much all the restaurants, are sponsors of the parade because they're packed on parade night. You, yeah. It's usually standing room to get in. And a number of the other local businesses are sponsors, too. And they all say they benefit from it. So I think, yeah, I think it's good. For, it's a win-win for everybody. And that's the idea, bringing people into town and promoting business. Have you had? Have you found that you've had to promote outside the the normal avenues because there has been a change of habit? Uh, other ways of of uh, and it's interesting. You know, all you have to do is hit Dundas Cactus Festival and Dundas Cactus Festival Parade, and it's amazing how different how many different uh, uh, platforms you go to uh, to find. So this is a festival that you know it's been around for a while and it does have roots, but it's always about bringing new people in. Mm-hmm. And we do like we reach out right across the region of Hamilton Wentworth. And we even have people that come in from Toronto that are just coming for the parade. But we've found that since COVID that we have reached out even further to different areas and have people from Guelph and Niagara and somebody in Niagara mentioned this on a radio show. And then people were calling and saying, well, we heard about this outside of town. So you do, you grow. And I think social media lets every, every event grow today too. So give us the uh, logistics of the Dundas Cactus Festival Parade, uh, where it starts, where the best place to view, how we get there, all that sort of stuff. What's what's the message you're trying to get out, Donna? Well, just want everybody to know that it's on Thursday, and they can sit anywhere along the route. The parade goes from the driving park, which is closed, but it goes all the way down Cross Street, east on Park, south on York, and then right up King Street all the way to Market. So anywhere on that route, is a great place to sit. The Dundas Concert Band will be performing during the parade for the few gaps that are between the bands in front of Eccles, which is at the corner of Albert and King. Great place to sit. And Emilio's Pizza is right next door. <laughs> so they can eat while they Perfect. watch if they want. And so, what's the best way to get there or park if you're coming from the outskirts? Well, there are lots of municipal parking lots. Um, sort of on Hat Street along the back of town that people can park in and on the side streets. Um, But King Street closes up by 6 o'clock, so they have to route down West Street and head down Hat Street into the back. A lot of people come in by bus, and the city transit are rerouted, and they know they have drop-off points at Hat Street so that people can walk just one block up to King. All right, just Google the Dundas Cactus Festival and you'll find out more. It's a great uh, great uh, tradition in the village of Dundas and uh, literally takes over. And it starts with a big parade on Thursday night. That is tomorrow. Donna Lavin with his coordinator of the Dundas Cactus Festival Parade. Donna, thanks for the time as always and have fun this year. Good luck. Thank you, Scott. 
Franco Terrazano, the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, took to social media the other day to post insights on the federal carbon tax. Uh, the body of the post read, the carbon tax makes you pay more for nothing. It's a ripoff. The tax doesn't help the environment. The carbon tax just makes life in Canada more expensive. Scrap the useless carbon tax, it goes on to say. And joining us, the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, Franco Terrazano, is here now. Franco, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. Hey, good afternoon, and thanks for having me on today. So what kind of response did you get to that post, uh, Franco? (laughs) A lot of people responded. Look, I think people are ticked off, and uh, rightfully so, right? Uh, People are having a really tough time just affording the basics, you know? I think in Canada, or probably in any country, one of the signs of, um, you know, just graciousness is how you care about the people who are uh, struggling the most. And of course, we have to think about the low-income Canadians who are struggling through these inflationary times. But you know what? In Canada now, it's not just about those who are lower income. Like, it's hard to get by on middle income in Canada, right? Mm. It's just like if you have a normal job, you might even have two jobs just to get by. Things are tough out there. And I think why Canadians are so ticked off, I think why that social media post, you know, had a ton of likes and shares is because people are looking at the government saying, hey, aren't you supposed to be helping us? Well, right now you're making things harder. And one of the things that's driving up the cost of living across the board is the government's carbon tax hikes. And of course, if you say anything against the carbon tax, you are a climate denier. Um, Recent polling suggesting Canadians uh, who are overwhelmingly concerned about climate change are questioning the liberal strategy on uh, this file. Are you seeing that more and more? Because at one time they could say nothing and everybody just handed over money and bought in. Well, now that the carbon tax is going up, and increasing more and more every single year. Right now, it's 14 cents a liter. Then Trudeau brought in another carbon tax. We're paying two carbon taxes in Canada. And in a couple years, by 2030, Trudeau's two carbon taxes will cost 55 cents per liter of gas alone. So now that it's very, very meaningful, people are saying, hold on a second, let's give this a second thought. And then it becomes very clear that making life more expensive in Canada, making it more expensive for a family, let's say, in Hamilton to fuel their minivan or to fill that grocery cart, doesn't do a single thing to reduce emissions where they are big and growing, right? Places like China and India or in Russia or in the United States. So I think people are really questioning why we're making life so much more expensive here in Canada by paying a tax that just doesn't help the environment at all. Many, uh, let's go on that point. Many have said the carbon tax is, uh, I guess, the best way to go. Uh, But as you've said, the tax doesn't help the environment. How do you qualify that? Well, okay, a couple different ways, right? Well, let's look at British Columbia. British Columbia had the highest carbon tax in Canada for years, and emissions continue to go up. Why is that? I'll break it down for you. Because fueling up a minivan with gasoline, right, or, or, or keeping your home warm or your business warm with natural gas, or drying grain on the farm with propane, or filling up, filling up that big rig with diesel is a necessity for countless Canadians. So instead of escaping the punishment of the carbon tax, people just have less money to sock away for other important things, like less money to give to the kids for the university education. But there's another big key point here, right? Canada makes up 1.5% of global emissions, okay? And, And where I think people are like, wow, this is extremely unfair, is when they hear that the vast majority of countries, more than 75% of countries, don't even have a national carbon tax. So the vast majority of countries aren't even paying one single national carbon tax. And now here in Canada, we're paying two. 
I've heard experts uh, who would counter what you're saying, saying just because they're not doing something doesn't mean we shouldn't be. Okay, so this is essentially what the carbon Essentially, essentially, the carbon tax is like you're out in the ocean, you see another boat, you've got a boat, you see the other boat is sinking. So what do you do? You shoot your own boat. <laughs> well, that doesn't help anyone. But that's essentially what the carbon tax is doing. That's an analogy. So rather than shooting a hole in our own boat and sinking ourselves, what we should be doing is say, okay, how do we actually address the real problem, which is global emissions? Right. The carbon tax here in Canada doesn't do that. How can we address those global emissions? Well, let's displace dirtier forms of energy uh, being produced and consumed abroad with cleaner forms of Canadian energy. The other way to do that is, well, how can we develop the technology, the clean technology here in Canada and try to export those things? So those are the two ways that we can actually help the environment, not with a carbon tax that makes almost all forms of life more expensive here in Canada. Uh, I've argued for way back to the days of uh, the Liberal government in Ontario that this is really a disguise to raise money. Um, but then some will say that money goes into projects like funding the EV uh, projects that we see across the province. Thoughts? Well, I'll say two things. So number one, uh, it is a money grab because not only are you paying a carbon tax, but you're also paying a GST, right? The federal sales tax. On top of that, <laughs> and this year, uh, the GST on top of the federal carbon tax alone, this tax on tax, is, raised, is, is costing Canadians hundreds of millions of dollars in additional taxes. So it is a money grab. Let's not make no mistake about that. But then the second thing I'll say is the federal government likes to talk about these rebates. Well, look, the PBO is very clear. Even though the federal government has given out rebates, the carbon tax is still costing the average family hundreds of dollars more this year than what they're getting back in the rebates. Not only that, but the carbon tax negatively impacts the economy. So not only are you paying more for gasoline, natural gas, you're paying more for groceries, but you're also hurt because you have less job opportunities. Your kids have less job opportunities, and it makes it harder for people uh, to be entrepreneurs. So again, uh, it's a very damaging tax. And the worst part about this is that it doesn't help the environment at all. And I think more and more Canadians are really waking up to that. Franco Terrazano with us, Canadian Taxpayers Federation Federal Director, commenting on the crippling carbon tax at a time when Canadians can least afford it. Franco, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Hey, have a great day. If Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer, he'll delve into the issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. Producer Will was saying he remembers when Taylor Swift was country, to which I replied, I remember when the Hootie and the Blowfish were pop. Uh, oh, you probably don't get that. Darius Rutgers now a country uh, guy. All right. Um, many people uh, trying to get concert tickets specifically for Taylor Swift. Uh, my daughter, uh, uh, one of them. And here, Dad, can I have your cell phone? The next thing you know, I got things coming in. And uh, long story short, she didn't get it. And I, many, I'm sure, were disappointed, uh, no matter how many phones they used. Some going to the private market to try to get these. That's when things get lucky. And stories floating around, uh, specifically of, of one lady who tried to get tickets for her daughter and basically gave away $1,600 bucks, uh, for nothing. How easy is it to get swindled? Let's bring in Eric Elper, publicist, music commentary. He commentator. He is with us now. Eric, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. Yeah, I think I'm doing better than most people don't have my Taylor Swift tickets, but at least I'm not spending $900 on a pair that doesn't exist. Oh, man. How often does this happen? 
a lot more these days, um, mostly because I think that there are a lot of people on social media, especially on Twitter, that are selling these tickets that just simply don't exist. And they know that there are hundreds, if not tens of thousands of fans that are so desperate for tickets that they're not trusting their gut. And they're also not going through a proper procedure of just making sure that their money is safe and they're safe from being ripped off. So this is people, obviously, who tried to get tickets like many through Ticketmaster, weren't able to get them, then go to the private sector to try to find them. People buy and sell stuff all the time. And then this happens. Is that, is that basically the situation? Yeah. I mean, there, there, there's a couple of ways that scammers are now making a killing right now on uh, on Taylor Swift tickets. The first is that they have a shot of a ticket that they have easily either manipulated or just simply created from scratch, um, or that they have sold the same pair of tickets many, many times over. And you won't know that until you get to the venue when you try to scan the barcode, not realizing that there might have been somebody ahead of you that used the exact same ticket, and you'll be the one out of luck. Essentially, what it comes down to is the platform that you're buying the tickets on. Um, make sure that you don't use your bank account or e-transfer to buy tickets. Um, that's basically, you know, you don't have any protection from the bank um, mm-hmm. under that kind of fraud protection. And the other way is by doing it is just by using PayPal if you are going to buy tickets because at least PayPal has some sort of buyer protection in case of those tickets don't go through. But other than that, though, it's really just about just stay away from buying tickets on sites that don't offer any protection. Use Ticketmaster, use SeatGeek, and use StubHub. At least those three are a little bit more expensive to use, but you know you can be sure that they're as legit as can be. And don't forget your wallet. Um, Taylor <laughs> Swift, a massive act, obviously. And is she doing anything different? Because uh, many artists have tried to combat this. I mean, my goodness, Eric, you and I have been around long enough that this has always been an issue, trying to get concert tickets, whether it's uh, a world of technology or not. Is she doing anything different about this? Yeah, the one thing I've noticed, and I don't know if it's good or bad or not, but it seems to be fueling the fire of, the fact that nobody is quite sure when the general admission tickets go on sale. And also, not necessarily um, only Taylor's doing, um, but nobody knows how many tickets have gone on sale in the first place um, for the pre-sale of the verified fan code and also uh, the various credit card companies that are um, uh, on top of or riding the carpet and and doing their own verified code system. Nobody knows if it's 15 pairs of tickets show or if it's 6,000. And I think that's fueling the fire for the demand, especially from parents who are a little bit terrified that they're going to be missing out and getting tickets for their kid. But Taylor's not doing anything different except for usually by this time, once the last pre-sale ends, and that is today, you kind of know when it's going out to the general public, so you're not waiting that much longer. She doesn't seem to be revealing that as of yet, or at least the deal that she did with Live Nation and Ticketmaster. And I think that's kind of fueling the demand and the hype and the buzz and the excitement. And also, you know, the, the, the little bit of, of bonkerness that's going on online. At the end of the day, can you fight Ticketmaster? No. No, and, and you don't want to. Ticketmaster is nothing more than a nameless, faceless website that does mm-hmm. its job 
very, very well. It handles over 100 million transactions a year, totaling almost 80% of the venues and shows that people want to see. It's simply the best system that's out there. If there was something better, people would go and use it a lot more. But um, no, I think in terms of the speed and the technology and the sheer demand that some, somebody like Taylor Swift offers, where 31 million people are all trying to get a code at the same time within 48 hours, it's still the best way to system. Because, I mean, look, I love nostalgia, but I'm not going to wait three hours outside in the rain yeah. at the box office anymore. I'm too old yeah, I forgot about that part. Thank you, Eric Alper, publicist, music commentary. Uh, be well. Take care. Thank you so uh, much. I forgot about the lining up thing. Uh, Taylor Swift tickets, uh, make sure you know who you are buying them from. Buyer beware. 900 CHML, it's Hamilton Today. We're coming right back. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. All right. uh, Just recently, yesterday, Grey Cup festivities announced, of course, the big party, the big festival, the big game uh, taking over the hammer this year. And that's probably why they got Tim Potisic involved, because he's used to this sort of stuff with Supercraw to help arrange the party. Let's bring in Tim Potisic, co-owner of Sonic Onion Records, Supercrawl Productions, Because Beer Festival, Mills Hardware, and Bridgeworks. And with us now, Tim, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. I'm great. Thank you. So how did this all come about, uh, you being involved in this? Uh, uh, let's start there. Longtime friends and partnerships with the Cats. We've been programming music in the stadium for, geez, at least like eight to ten years, like mm-hmm. half times and, and whatnot. And we've worked uh, on the uh, 2021 Grey Cup. So what can we expect uh, this year? Uh, obviously, 2021, uh, an altered event because of the situation that we were in. Uh, what do you learn from that? What can we expect this time out? Well, I mean, the reality is it's like bigger and better, and it's like what we had planned in the first place. So there's a lot of planning that went on from like about 2018, 2019. We started the process, and then 2021 was incredible and great, but it was not what anybody really ultimately wanted it wasn't part of the original plan and now we're back to what the original plan was with like obviously for tweaks for 2023 so just a much bigger more full encompassing uh citywide grouping of events all right so we're getting the full meal deal this time out so what can we expect what uh over and above the game itself what sort of parties uh, are you planning well from thursday we'll do a, a serious xm uh, kickoff on street on James Street. So we're closing James Street and it'll be basically you're getting two super crawls this year. Let's just say that you're going to have one in September <laughs> in a few weeks. And then in November, we're going to do it again. Uh, li- slightly different, uh, more football, um, you know, but uh, we're we're doing a pile of programming on street. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then tons of tailgating and programming at the stadium and, uh, and some private events around the stadium on Sunday. Uh, the Tiger Cats are working on some really huge shows outside of that. Um, and then all the team parties, all the programming and music for the team parties. And it's just, um, there's so much. There's the, there's a road race as well uh, that we're not doing, but um, Around the Bay is doing, and then the Santa Claus Parade's happening on Saturday, so that's going to keep late on the James that's Street. Hilar- that's hilarious that all of this stuff is coming together, like even the Santa Claus Parade. That's excellent. Yeah, it's amazing that there's all these things that are culminating around Grey Cup this year. 
So uh, obviously, you, you know, you're an old pro when it comes to the super crawl and, and everything that it has evolved into. What's the difference between the two events? What can you take from one to the other? Um, how are they different yet the same? Well, there'll be lots of programming. We're doing a Christmas market, so specific to, you know, having a Christmas market on street and uh, food trucks as well. But then all of the elements that come along with Grey Cups, so cheer teams, extravaganzas, uh, a lot of um, a lot of tie-ins with the military. So the armories is going to be completely uh, open to the public, and there's going to be activations inside, and a you know a half a football field basically built in their marching grounds. So like lots of really cool stuff from that perspective. We're going to have stage on the street with music, uh, really focusing on local and a small beer garden on the street and tons of like football activations will also be on the street and it'll be decked out. So it's just going to be very much like, you know, Grey Cup, uh, an extension of the Grey Cup parties that are happening at the convention center and inside so the uh, first time. You were saying, you were saying like, I mean, obviously Super Crawl's happening in the September, the game in November. So these are two giant parties. Uh, how do you balance the two? Is one a warm up for the other? Are they both unbelievable? Well, they're both distinctive in their own rights, right? So Super yeah. Crawl is very arts and culture driven. Uh, and we're adding those elements into the Grey Cup party. Uh, the Grey Cup party is going to be, you know, a lot more sport-driven with sport activations uh, and partners that they have. And with, you know, cheerleaders and, and marching bands and those types of things that you would normally find uh, more so at uh, football games, we're going to be bringing all that to James Street North. So it's like, you know... I could describe it to people. They really should go to both because it's going to be two very unique, but uh, also similar cool experiences. What does this do for your portfolio, Tim? Because, you know, this is this is really expanded beyond what you initially started doing way back when. Definitely opening some doors. I think, you know, we're producing some more events outside of Hamilton, um, also Mm -hmm. more things inside Hamilton. But just the connection with sport. Uh, working with the Ticats has been fantastic in the Grey Cup and, and uh, the CFL. And I just love the additional opportunities that that brings. And it also allows us to expand things at Supercrawl down the road, you know, like adding more sports elements to what we're doing and having those connections. So um, it's just great to work with different people. And, you know, they're so community driven. It's just it's such a pleasure to work with the Ticats on all levels because we're all about community. And they're all about community, and we're tying those two different, you know, different but similar communities together. This is very exciting, especially having the two events so close together. Now, I know uh, you're not involved with a halftime show. I think that's more the league. Is that accurate? Yeah, the CFL programs that. I know the Tiger Cats are obviously at the uh, at the table, and they're trying to, right. you know, solidify a great talent. I think they already probably have it, uh, from what I understand. I'm not even. I'm not even allowed in that room, um, but they haven't announced it yet. So some big, big things coming from them for sure. So there's some debate around whether it should be a Canadian act or not. What are your thoughts on that? Want to weigh in? I think that it needs to be, you know, the best, most available artist that's going to work for what they're doing. You know, Canadian or American. Uh, I don't see the border that often, you know what I mean? Like, I think, yeah, it'd be amazing if it is a huge Canadian act, you know, 
Um, I don't want to throw a name out because I don't want to think people to think that that would be the act that's coming. But yeah. you know, you know, they're you know who the big ones are: the Nickelbacks, the Shania's, like those, like. Uh, that would be absolutely incredible. And the reality is that, you know, the biggest Canadian acts are also truly some of the biggest acts in the whole world. So, you know, we're, we're on par from that perspective. Um, but uh, whatever they bring, I know it's going to be a spectacular show. And you bring up a very valid point, which some of us f- uh, forget when we're getting emotionally drawn into this sort of thing, is these are businesses, acts that are touring. So it's all about availability and logistics and who you can make fit. Absolutely. Yeah. It's always the, uh, it's always the hardest thing. It's, there's, and there's so many options too, like that, you know, there are options out there, but also making the logistics fit and the, you know, the financial element of these things fit as well. So there's a lot, there's a big juggling act and you just gotta, you gotta work through it. So regardless, it'll be amazing. <laughs> when are we going to find out more, Tim? I believe that we're looking at uh, mid-September announcement, so it'll probably be for the Grey Cup information. It'll probably be just post Supercrawl, to be honest. Um, that's what we're that's what we're aiming towards. We have a lot of our stuff already wrapped up and ready to go, um, and as do the Tie Cats. But there's still a few things that are you know loose wheels. We want to get all of our T's crossed and I's dotted. So likely you'll see a big announcement on the music side around that timing. Very exciting. Tim Potisic with us, co-owner of Sonic Onion Records, Super Call Productions, Because Beer Festival, Mills Hardway, uh, Hardware, and, of course, Bridge work, uh, Works. Great Cup festivities uh, under the guise of Tim, and you know it is going to be a barn burner of a celebration. Tim, good luck, and uh, be well. Thank you. You know, every time we bring Carmi Levy on, technology analyst and journalist, by the time we get him on, we're going to be talking about a different story than what we probably booked him with because the news just travels that fast. Uh, the LCBO, uh, Liquor Control Board of Ontario, some customers' personal info compromised, Canada's plans for regulating AI, and the fallout of C-18. How many of these do you think we're going to hit? Carmi Levy with us, technology analyst and journalist. Here now, Carmi, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. Oh, I am doing well. I will talk real fast so we can get through all of them, I promise. Uh, this is, I didn't even mention this. Are there connect, uh, connectivity issues today? We've been having some drops here and there. Is there something going on? Yeah, there are. If you look at the, at the down detector site, you'll see across Southern Ontario, there are lots of, there's lots of red around Rogers customers. Um, certainly I've been hearing from them for much of the, much of the, much of the day since this morning. Uh, and also if you're with Eastlink in Southern Ontario, uh, you are also affected because they often use the same network. So, uh, this is kind of a, a known thing. Uh, they haven't gone public with it, but the down detector site, uh, which is kind of should be your first go to if you think that your ISP is having a bad day, uh, is showing lots of red for Rogers throughout the region. So if some of your services aren't working, you know, that Zoom call kind of drops and whatever could be because of that. Wow, can't pull the wool over Carmi's eyes. All right, let's talk about the LCBO, and there's been a uh, a breach there of some sort. Yeah, well, back in January, they had a first breach, and now there's been a second one. Uh, this one's a little bit different last time, but it affected their website, it affected their, their mobile app, uh, and it also included uh, customer and financial information. This time, it's a little different. This time, it affects anyone who's signed up for email promotions. So there's, they work with a company called Conversion Digital, uh, and it's a third-party company that sort of handles their email-based marketing. And, you know, you get a little pop-up, and it says, you know, for whatever, give us your name and your email address, and you've signed up. Well, that information, so so first names, email addresses, dates of possibly dates of birth, postal codes, 
even your error plan number, if that was included, might have been affected. Uh, not as concerning as, as financial information, which was not included here, but still concerning because any data that falls into the wrong hands is a bad thing. So they're no longer doing email marketing while they investigate. They're, they are, uh, you know, they're, they're reaching out saying basically you and I, if we have signed up for any of these things, which many of us have, we should be on the lookout in our inboxes, both email and other forms of messaging for uh, the kinds of attacks, phishing attacks, ransomware attacks that use personal information against us. We can expect to see more of those in the weeks and months to come because of this breach. I'm just concerned because here you have the LCBO. It is a provincial crown corporation. You would think they'd have the budget, the resources, the expertise to kind of get ahead of this. Yes, organizations are victimized every day, but twice within the course of less than a year. That is concerning. Uh, and I think questions need to be asked and answers need to be provided. Ontarians really deserve to know. All right, uh, AI, we've talked about that a lot here, Carmi. Uh, Canada working on some sort of guidelines or regulations. What do we know here? Yeah, so it's called Bill C-27. It's also, it's part of the pri- updates of the Privacy Act. There's a section that's called the Artificial Intelligence and Data Act, and it'll introduce new regulations for what they call high-impact AI systems. There is a uh, news that uh, apparently the Innovation uh, Science and Economic Development Canada was going to be conducting consultations throughout the summer uh, and they leaked that information didn't bother telling anyone about it put it up on their website and then very quickly took it back down some very eagle-eyed people actually saw it uh, and now they're asking the government why are you so quiet about this process why are you not sharing this information i think canadians deserve to know so so essentially the government is trying to kind of get the right people around the table to figure out how to bring this this law forward, how to come up with better regulations, because Bill C-27 was crafted before ChatGPT was released. It needs a good update, even as it works its way through the House of Commons. Uh, and so why this is happening not in a an open uh, tr- you know, and, and, and transparent manner really does beg some questions as well. And I think uh, Innovation Minister Francois-Philippe Champagne really does need to go on record as saying why they're following this process and why they're being so quiet about it. What does it say when we have to recraft legislation before it even gets through the house because <laughs> technology is that fast? Oh, man. All right. So <laughs> wanted to quickly ask you about C Bill C-18, uh, which is, of course, uh, the platforms paying for uh, news organizations for their content. Obviously, uh, Meta, Facebook have, have banned that information now on their sites. Where is this going? We're hearing that this is hurting the medium and smaller market uh, media companies the most. It is. I mean, the smaller you are, the less resourcing you have to work around this limitation. You've probably put a lot of effort into building your Facebook presence, getting your followers in line, training them to come to your Facebook page and include your content in their algorithms. And so now all of that goes dark. What do you do? Uh, and and also uh, Meta, of course, is deciding on its own who is and is not media. So a lot of small community organizations that really don't define themselves as media orgs to begin with, they're finding themselves affected by this as well. They can no longer post content. It is no longer being shared. They are going dark, even though they're not, uh, you know, a national uh, news operation. And that, to me, you know, sort of begs the question: Do we want big tech companies deciding how Canadian businesses operate? We've essentially trusted Meta to do right by us, and we've sort of built businesses 
on that platform. And now Meta's pulling the wool out from under us. And uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of collateral damage. You know, the, the short answer is businesses have to not put all the, all of their eggs in one social media basket. They have to go back to the basics, get your website going, use email distribution lists, text-based distribution lists, uh, get off of Facebook, get off of Instagram, because clearly uh, Mark Zuckerberg doesn't want you using it for that purpose anymore. Thankfully, there are other options, but you do have to dance uh, and be a little bit agile here at this point. It'll take some effort. I think you hit the nail on the head here, Carmi. Uh, and we started this at the very beginning of this whole process when the Internet was brand new, websites and apps. And then we got lazy and jumped on the back of these other quicker platforms. Now I'm seeing media companies go backwards and promoting their own websites and their own apps. Why didn't they just keep doing that? Because I think, and, and I'm glad you used the word lazy because it's, that has, you know, I figured that as well for the longest time because it was easier. It was easier yeah. rather than building your own web presence. It was easier to just get all, you know, thousands or more followers on Facebook and then just feed it to them through there. Uh, but you know what? It's, it's a bit of a false win here because now somebody else was making the rules. We were introducing an intermediate player between us and our audience. Uh, and that needs to stop. So now cut meta out. Uh, get rid of the middleman, and now you can go back. We sh- we all need to go back to that direct connection: website, app, email, messaging. No one tells us the rules. There's no algorithm to des- that decides what is shown and is not shown. Um, this is the way, it frankly, should have been. And, and frankly, if you are in marketing and if you work for a media organization or any company, and you're responsible for making sure that you can market your wares and your services, you don't just want to have one service. You don't just oh, we've got a lot of Facebook followers. We're good. You always have to have multiple channels of distribution. And I think this, what's happening now, really illustrates the risks that we face when we don't have a plan B. And I think this is healthy for Canadian businesses. We're finally talking about, uh, you know, smart marketing, Uh, whereas for years we were just, yeah, we'll just let social media handle it. Those days are drawing to a close. And I think ultimately we'll be be better off. But right now uh, there's a bit of discomfort uh, in the Canadian business community and for good reason. Well said. Carmi Levy with us, technology analyst and journalist, talking about everything tech. Carmi, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Appreciate being here, Scott. Thanks. When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. We have talked with Jeffrey Dvorkin, Senior Fellow at Massey College, former Director of Journalism at the University of Toronto Scarborough Campus, uh, and author of Trusting the News in Digital in a Digital Age, about uh, Bill C-18 and technology and traditional media and where the train wreck starts and ends. And we are where we are. Let's bring in Jeffrey Dvorkin. Jeff, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. My pleasure. Good to be with you. You know, interesting, uh, Jeff, I just had a conversation with Carmi Levy, who's a tech analyst, and we were talking about this whole situation with Bill C-18. I'm still not sure this is the right way to go. As a matter of fact, I don't think it is. And, you know, we were talking about where we are because this is hurting the smaller news outlets and media outlets more than anything. The top three or four will survive. Um, but, again, he was saying, and we're seeing it, I just played a commercial, uh, that Traditional media needs to go back to where it started 20 years ago when the information highway uh, first was thrown upon us and promote their own websites, promote their own apps, instead of just jumping on board this train called Facebook or Twitter and letting them do the work for you. How odd is this that it's coming full circle? It is. uh, The past is prologue, as, as they say. It's really weird. 
what's, what is happening now is that Bill C-18, in my opinion, is an ill-conceived method of figuring out what kind of relationship uh, media organizations should have with these giants. Um, it, clearly, the Europeans and the Australians have figured it out, but for some reason, the Canadians are being a bit intransigent about this and figuring they can play hardball with it. And, and we'll see uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram uh, surrender and say, oh, gosh, we were so wrong. That's not going to happen. These are big corporations that know how to play hardball. And something interesting happened today, which uh, I think is going to be really critical to how this is going to resolve. Uh, the new minister, François-Philippe Champagne, uh, said, we're going to support uh, Bill C-18 to the end, and we're supporting the appeal to the Competition Bureau. And we know that the Competition Bureau will come up with the right conclusion. This is intrusion at a government level into what is supposed to be a mm. independent aspect of government where there is supposed to be an arm's length relationship between what the government wants and what the commission is supposed to do. Now, what's happened to me is that this is the way the government is leaning on the Competition Bureau and saying, we want you to come up with the decision that we like, we and the government yeah. like. And this yeah. is this is simply unacceptable. Um, so the head of the Competition Bureau, who I don't know, uh, is now is on the verge of being reappointed for another five years. Uh, if he doesn't toe the government line, does this mean that he's going to lose his job? We are in a kind of a banana republic mentality here uh, when it comes to these issues. And I think that the government needs to figure out a better way of doing this and not pretend to uh, put on digital brass knuckles in order to get the decision that it wants. I think we're really in trouble now. Has this done more harm than good? Well, it's doing a lot of harm. And I think one of the things that the government may have had good intentions in initially to figure out a way in which small media organizations can take advantage of whatever relationship they have with Google and and X and Facebook and and all and and to try to figure out a way in which can't we all get along to quote a to quote an old phrase and I think what's happened is that uh, the government has backed these big media companies into a corner they're not going this is small potatoes compared to the other major issues Canada is not a major player the problem is now that we have a spreading of media illiteracy around the country. There are a lot of news deserts around, not so much in the greater Toronto area or Montreal, or even to a lesser extent in, in the Vancouver area, but in the rest of the country, uh, there's not a lot of equivalent information that can be shared with, with the public. Uh, this is going to, I mean, we saw this the other day when the leader of the Conservative Party accused Canadian press of being an agency of the CBC. Anyone who works in this business or anyone who wants to be Oh, is that over the same is that over the same headline that was across all the platforms? Right. And and clearly yeah. Mr. Poliev doesn't understand how the media landscape works. Canadian press is a creature of 
the publishers and the newspapers, not of the CBC. And so for, for him to say that uh, on, a, on a tweet, on an X, whatever we call it now, uh, that Canadian press is, is just doing its bidding of the, which, by, by the CBC, which owns Canadian press. That's not true. Canadian press has been an independent, private market uh, news agency going back to 1917. This is is it still the same? Is it still the same, uh, Jeff? Yeah, it's not. The CBC has no relationship yeah. with. Yeah, Canadian I understand press that. Yeah. Other than although, let me uh, let, so it can use its copy in its news stories. Let me let me ask you this: as a prof and a student, um, should they not should should two or three and because it, it wasn't always listed as a Canadian press story, although I do believe it was in one. Uh, they were just rewritten in others, but they carried the same headline. That is a little odd, Jeff. But think of it this way. News organizations have fewer people working in newsrooms. Oh, they I know getting that. Yeah. Their feeds yep. from Canadian Press yep. because they've subscribed to it, and they are doing the best they can with the limited resources available to them. So when media organizations pick up the same headline, and it's on CTV, and it's on CBC, and it's in the local newspaper, or it's in the Globe and Mail. That's not a fault of the editors. The editors are forced to choose what's available to them because they don't have the resources to go out and gather the information themselves. This is an indication of how impoverished our media landscape is becoming. All right. We could talk an hour on this. Jeffrey Dvorkin with the senior fellow Massey College will be in touch again. Former director of journalism, University of Toronto, Scarborough. Uh, Jeff, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Always a pleasure. Cheers. A long time ago, uh, Todd Lewis and I worked at the same radio station in Hamilton. It was called Y95, and then it blew up, and we all went our separate ways. I was stupid enough to stay in radio. Todd followed his passion and went into motorsports coverage, uh, covering everything from Indy to NASCAR and what have you. You can currently find him uh, on the TSN uh, coverage of the NASCAR Pinty Series, host of Rec Culture TV as well, and he's in Oshwegan for a, a big time that's going on there over the last couple of days. Todd Lewis, uh, motorsports commentary is uh, commentator, is with us now. Todd, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Hey, I'm good. It has been a long time. So tell us what is going on in Schwiegen. This is t- this is quite the week for them. Sure is. They had uh, races all weekend with sprint cars and uh, flat track uh, motorcycle racing. They've got uh, stock cars and sprint cars again tonight. We got rained out last night, but the track's in amazing shape. They started working on it overnight to be ready. So it's uh it, it's a pretty special event. This is the second NASCAR Pinty Series race here at Ashwiken this year. They've done a, a double header, and Glenn Styers and his crew have done an amazing job with this facility. It's a it's a milestone for the series. It began in 2007. This is race number 200, as I mentioned uh, tonight, and it is uh, on an upward trajectory and continuing to grow. And it's uh it's super exciting to have it back in Southern Ontario, where where I grew up, as a matter of fact, which is really cool. This is uh, very exciting, and as you said, it's on the upswing, especially dirt. Pinty Series now following uh, the other NASCAR series uh, onto the dirt, and what a huge win last night, or the other night. Oh, yeah, for, for Ken Schrader, the uh, the mercenary who still races anything and everything at 68 years old, came in and uh, battled with uh, his 
his teammate Drayton Lapsovich and scored the victory, becoming the the oldest driver to win in the Pinty series. And uh, it was it was pretty spectacular to see him. And uh, he's he's just as you would imagine he would be. He's he's fun. He's humble. He enjoys racing so so much and loved the competition here. And it was uh, it was pretty super fun for for Schrader and for for everybody else here as well. That must have been a crowd favorite win. They must have went nuts. Oh, how can you how can you not with with someone who has such an incredible year or a, an incredible history? He's, he's running in SRX this year as a full time competitor. And uh, I, I asked him about it. He did not get Paul Tracy thrown out of the SRX series. It was uh, <laughs> it was, it was a whole, something else. Yeah, he had his, his run ins with him, but so did everybody else. It was all good. So, no, he's a he's, he's a wonderful story and a terrific guy and still loves racing just as much and said he'll be in a car about 100 days this year. How good is that for someone at 68? And he will, will he race again tonight or just the other night? He is unable to race tonight. He was supposed to race last night, but because of the rain out, he has had to get back. He's got SRX duties uh, tomorrow night and they usually come right. in the day before. So uh, a youngster, his crew chief the other night is going to race actually. Kyle Steckley, who is the son of Scott Steckley, a mm. multi-time NASCAR Pinty Series champion and is just getting his feet wet. He's he's won APC races and doing very well. So he's going to get his first taste of dirt tonight. It's going to be fun to watch. And when do we get to watch this on TSN, Todd? Uh, this will be uh, on TSN in about a week's time. Not this coming weekend. Should be the weekend right. after, or the weekend of the 19th and 20th. I don't know if they've confirmed the uh, air date yet. You can watch the live stream tonight. On uh, TSN Plus, if you are a subscriber, it will be a uh, live stream tonight, and then the uh, the tape delayed broadcast will be in the, about ten days. What's it like to watch these cars on the dirt? Oh well, you and I are longtime fans of racing and motorsports, so anytime you get to see cars go fast and make a lot of noise, <laughs> it's great. It's cool. It's exciting. And you know when they're spraying dirt into uh, turns one and three as they start to make the turns, it's it even gets more exciting when there's a little bit of shrapnel that's coming up off the track. It's it's <laughs> super fun and exciting. It's and it's a new experience for a lot of these drivers too, who don't necessarily race a lot on dirt, but uh, but it is fun to watch. They've learned very quickly. Uh, Stuart Friesen. Who is running sprint cars tonight and races in the truck series is also racing in the Pinty's race tonight. So yeah, it's it's attracted an awful lot of attention. And do other drivers come in, as you said, Stuart Friesen from the truck series yep. come in to participate in this race because of uh, what it is? Well, th that's exactly it. It's uh, it has got a lot of attention in the United States from uh, other drivers. You know, there are, there are sponsor reasons why Friesen is here and why Schrader has come up to participate in this, but it has also gotten an awful lot of attention when the truck series ran at uh, Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, an awful lot of them would run in the Pinty series to get acclimatized to the track and to road racing and to the level of competition is what they all speak about, is that the, the driving caliber of regular participants in this series is unmatched. It is as good as anything you will find in the United States. And you, you mentioned that uh, Pinty's has kind of followed NASCAR racing on dirt in the, the U.S. Well, NASCAR in the U.S. has kind of followed the Pinty series racing on street courses as well, because mm. they've raced mm. in Toronto for a number of years. We just wrapped up at the uh, Grand Prix de Trois-Rivières. And of course, Cup Series had that Chicago event, which was a big success earlier. And who knows, maybe they'll come back again into Canada. Yeah, that would be great to see. So, and kudos to Glenn Styers and everybody at Ashwigan for just building this facility to the point where they're they're having celebrations like they are today. 
it's amazing. And every time I've, I've come to this track is that Glenn or, and his staff have, have built something new where there's a new uh, addition to this facility. They're, the garage facilities for the drivers is, is even better than it was last year. There's the, the facilities around the track are, are expanding as well with more concessions and more, more options here as well. It's just, it's a, it's a facility that's, that's continuing to grow and it's, it's great to come and watch their, their regular programs every Friday night as well, but they are so happy and so thrilled to be having these special events. Glenn was just all smiles ear to ear when I was talking to him earlier today. Just, just loving having everyone here uh, to be part of his family at his home. And he's in the Pinty series as well. He is. He's uh, he started full time last year and uh, is back at it this year. And and actually, he had a he's had a, an enormously successful sprint car racing career. But he actually began on asphalt and ovals and uh, has decided he wants to get back into that as well. So he's running both. He'll run sprint cars and he's going to continue to run this series as well. How do you explain that, you know, especially when you see in tough economic times, a lot of the stuff, you know, motor racing dies, it goes in ebbs and flows, it cycles, it never really dies. Of course, that's an inappropriate word, but it is obviously uh, making a comeback now. And, and you must see that. How do you explain it? Uh, it, it's obviously, it's a sport that always attracts attention. It is, it's a very sexy sport. It's a fun sport. It's accessible. I'm standing about 12 feet away from the cars that are lined up to, to go out and have their practice session in just a little while. And that's the kind of spectator and fan accessibility that you get here. How many times do you go to get to stand on the ice at Air Canada Center or on the field mm. at uh, Rogers Center for a baseball game? You don't, it doesn't, it doesn't exist, but this is the kind of, you can get up close. Uh, they they had the autograph session for for fans a little bit earlier where you get a chance to talk to the drivers. They all have autograph cards that you can get. No, they don't charge for autographs. And they usually have giveaways and stuff, too. It is just one of the most fan-friendly sports that you will you will find the accessibility and the affordability as well. All right, so what's happening tonight at Oshwegan? Oh, it's the 100-lap uh, uh, feature for the NASCAR Pinty Series. Uh, 360 sprints, uh, crate sprints as well, also doing features here tonight. Uh, Pinty Series goes green just about 9.30. So, yes, excitement. You will find it here tonight at Oshweekend. All right, Todd Lewis with us. And, of course, you can watch all of this uh, in the coming uh, days on TSN as Todd Lewis, a part of the uh, NASCAR Pinty Series program, which is running at Oshwegan tonight, host of Rec Culture TV. Todd, as always, thanks so much for the time. Love talking racing with you. Have fun tonight. Thanks, Scott. I'll look for you to another race uh, coming up in the next few weeks, so I'm sure you'll be around. Cheers, Absolutely. Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show. You can read him in your Hamilton Spectator, and he is here now. Scott, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Isn't that a great song? Isn't that a great song with Neil Peart just banging away there for us? I'll tell you something. I was driving out to your stomping ground, or one of your stomping grounds the other day. I was driving to a racetrack in Cayuga. I, I rarely nice. go to the racetrack. Yeah, I was, I'm writing something about a, a person who's racing. And I drove by, I think it was Peart Fruits. And I almost stopped in to go, are you related to Neil? Are you part of the family? Because they're from around here. But yeah, who knows? But um, I, I know you're a fan of Rush. I remember, uh, I don't know where I saw this. Maybe it came up on social media. I'm not sure. But during the old Late Night with David Letterman show, he did a thing and he, where he called it Drum Week. And he brought in all of the best drummers from all of these bands. And every night he would have a different one. And they would just do like four minutes of a drum solo or whatever. And then the person was absolutely exhausted afterwards. And Neil did one of those. And it was absolutely incredible. Do you remember that? I have seen that. And I also have heard, and especially when he passed away, you heard like every, there are not many drummers that every other drummer goes, that guy's the best. 
Yeah. I, I mean, Bon Scott at one time, a lot of people pointed to him or Keith Moon for a while there, but, uh, there are very few, but all the guys were saying, yeah, you know what, Who, who's competing with that? Well, he's, he would be more than a drummer. You know, when you think about it at the end of the day and some of the small kits that suddenly, you know, look yeah. what Ringo Starr used. This guy was a drummer slash, you know, the percussion section of every orchestra. It, it, so here's the thing that I thought a, a long time ago about when you listen to him, most drummers are the human metronome. They're just keeping yeah, the band yeah. on their mm-hmm. time, but mm-hmm. they are not contributing musically necessarily, whereas he is part of the music of the, of the songs they play. Anyway. Three guys, yeah. three guys made that noise. So tell me this, how is it that, think of the, the trios that make great amounts of noise, but good noise. Yeah. And tell me how it is that Canada produced two of the best in them and Triumph. I mean, go find me another group like that. There aren't many and we got two of the best ones right from around here. I remember when Triumph used to play at our high school. Is that right? Yes. And, uh, they would bring their pyro with them. Yes. Legendary. And almost, and almost setting the, uh, school stage curtains on fire. Legendary. Yep. <laughs> and standing there and all of a sudden, and you can feel like your whole fa- face just get hot. You know, there is a singeing your eyebrows. There is a terrific documentary that is out right now. It's on Crave. It's also, it's been on TV a bunch of times. Uh, about the background and the history of Triumph. And that's one of the great stories is they decided early on, Hey, we may not be the best musicians yet. We're working on it, but nobody at any concert is going to walk away without having their eardrums blown out of their head and their eyebrows singed off. We are going to be bigger and louder than anybody and our music will catch up eventually. And they did. And yeah, I uh, saw them many times. Great band. All right. So looking at your show sheet tonight, you're going to talk uh, possible city, uh, looming city strike could affect everything from garbage pickup, uh, child care, among other Hamilton services. There's been a lot of chatter about um, municipalities, governments, whether it's whether it's municipal, uh, federal, provincial, whatever, and strikes going on and them getting pretty handsome pay raises mm. that aren't we're not seeing in uh, the private sector, of course. And many are wondering that this where this is going to go after a period of time. So you may remember back at the beginning of July that the city gave some very handsome pay raises to its non-union employees, 1100 non-union employees, IT people and lawyers and managers and things like that. And some of them, and that was their second raise of the year. They also got one back earlier. Some people now in the non-union municipal office are up 15% year over year from last year. Wow. You do that. And I know that there's a policy they're following about trying to compete with other municipalities to avoid brain drain and all the rest, but you do this. What do you think the unions are going to say when they see these kind of increases? They're going to say, and they did say it, they've come right out and said, clearly the city has money. So we want ours. You cannot possibly, if you're the city, give four to 15, but mostly at the upper end percent increases to your non-union people and honestly believe that you're not setting up for a showdown. It, It was inevitable. It's inevitable. And now Scott, I mean, what are they going to get? I don't know what they're going to get, but let's say that it ends up being three and a half to 4%, because they've been talking about, well, you know, inflation and cost of living there. If it's three and a half to 4%, basically across the board over four years, we're talking 12 to 15% now for five, 6,000 more. And guess who pays for that? Guess yeah. who pays for all that? And, and we, and you know, 
God bless the union people who say, you know, this is an expensive city and our workers have to be able to live here. Yeah. And guess who's going to make it more expensive? And ultimately, you said it. The people who are left behind holding the bag are pensioners and private sector people who aren't getting these increases and who are now facing this extra, extra, extra cost because everybody who's public keeps looking at the other people who are public and it's a, it's a nuclear arms race to see who can get paid the most. Now we got the teachers, we got the medical people, we got everybody except private sector. Scott Radley show coming up after the six o'clock news. You can read them in your Hamilton spectator. Scott, have a great show tonight. Well, and I forgot midday afternoon drive home hosts who also got 15 to 20% a year, right? I'm sorry, are you talking to me? Is there, somebody, is there somebody else on this call I'm unaware of? I'm not sure what that's there coming from. That's there. what I had heard. Yes. It was just a rumor. Yes. Yeah, all right. Uh, yeah. Uh, have Scott, a good one. have a great show, and uh, I'll leave it at that. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. That's it for us. Thanks for listening. As always, we leave it to you, the taxpaying customer, to have the last word. Hi, Scott. Can we just appreciate for a moment the fact that the show starts with Scott, ends with two Scots, and then ends with me. 